You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. You know what today is? I do. Are you going to share? Why should I share my inner workings? That's fair. You what don't... is my motivation? What is the payoff? That's this okay. is a capitalist society. I need, you know, reward for anything I'm giving. I just want our listeners to know that before we start recording, Chelsea very excitedly said, you know what day it is. And then I was like, oh, should we start, re- should we start recording? And then she was like, oh, yeah. And then now she's playing coy. So I've been bamboozled. Sorry. Yes. No, no, Thank no. You very I, did, much. I did have a bit planned. And by I did have a bit planned, I mean, I was just winging it. I, I said something like, you know what today is just to get the juices flowing. And I was going to see what Grace was going to say. And depending on what Grace was going to say, I was going to come up with an answer. So I didn't have anything planned, so to speak, except pure chaos. We're not chaos, just pure, just like random energy. Cause I'm such like a manic pixie dream girl. Of course. Imagine us in an improv class. We would be the worst people. Yes. And I actually ever. think that that would be fun. Because it wouldn't be fun for anybody else, but we (laughs) would have a lot of fun. And at the end of the day, isn't it all about having fun and finding joy in the ways, in the small ways that you can? If someone could make me enjoy improv, because I really, like, (laughs) I just freeze up under pressure like that. Mm. And I can't perform. So Mm. if someone could, if I need, like, the right teacher to really hold my hand and allow me to just enjoy myself (laughs) and not overthink it. Right. I don't know. If you ever want to do a take improv, improv class. class. Oh, oh, okay. So first of all, Grace asked, listeners, have you ever done an improv class? Okay. If you have, no, no. let us know. Because there's people who flock to improv classes. I am not one of those people. Has anyone ever done one like against every cell in their body? They did one and then they liked it. Let me know. Right then, in. Yes, Chelsea. Maybe I'll do it with you. But can we drive to like another city to do, <laughs> to do yes. it? Yeah, well, yeah, because I feel like. Everybody in the improv scene in Chicago. Improv is such a huge scene, especially in Chicago, because it's like what the like the city was built off of. But like everybody knows each other. It's very incestuous, and I I'm not interested in like becoming like part of the family of improvers in Chicago. Unfortunately, I mean, no offense to anybody who's in improv in Chicago, of course, but it's just not for me. Go to Milwaukee. Yeah, that's so what I need. I need to be. I need to have more like anonymity where I am, and then I'll, and we should change our names too. And uh, change our backstories. That's the I, real improv. I, oh my God. I love that. Wait, okay. Milwaukee's too far, but we could go to some random suburb of Chicago. Yes. Like Skokie or something would ha- must have improv classes. Or Niles. Could you imagine? Like being yeah. in like a church basement and taking improv classes with like 40 <laughs> and 50 year olds. And my name's like Tabitha. <laughs> I'm going to be All called, right, well, I'm going to be called Cherry. Cherry and Tabitha. All right. I like that. We could be, maybe we're cousins. Yes. Yeah. Or something. Perfect. Um, okay. Another great idea by us. Always. See, that's what, that's what <laughs> improving gets you. But uh, if you're just tuning in, you're like, what the hell is this podcast? Uh, this is Two Girls, One Crossword, your favorite weekly podword crosscast. I'm Grace Topinka. And I'm Chelsea Rowan. Um, yeah. We're your favorite. Your absolute favorite every single week because we provide real humor. You don't need to go to the Chicago Improv Clubs because you have us. And you can find us every at week. the Niles Improv every Tuesday night. <laughs> it's true. Um, I genuinely loved one of my favorite things to do 
at work was to kind of like just do bits with either you or we had another good friend, Mike, just do like, Mm -hmm. just take an idea and run with it and just make everybody in the room feel really awkward and like confused, but also kind of believe what you're doing. To me, that's the best kind of improv. It's like Eric Andre on the street, you know, like just doing random crazy things. That's or us my... on the train when we yes. pretend we're late for a dermatologist appointment for a rash. <laughs> and then catching people laughing. That is like, that brings me true joy. That brings me true joy. If you ever catch us on the train, just let us, let us be. Let us do our thing, okay? Don't question us. No. But anyway, we're not on a train right now. We're sitting together on Zoom, together but separate. And we're here to talk to you about things and stuff. Puzzles. Podcasts, puzzles, trivia. Mm. Mm-hmm. But first, but first, we must, we must touch base on a very, very important topic, a very important question. I should say that Grace posed to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, listeners, it is in time. It is indeed time for Polapalooza. Yes, it is. we asked on Twitter, "How do you like your eggs?" And some people were upset about this. They were like, "There's not enough choices. I don't even like eggs." There's only Twitter only allows four choices. Take it up with them. And these are the four that people could have chosen between. Over easy, sunny side up, scrambled, or poached. Ooh, okay. And then I did write a comment. If you don't like eggs, like this comment, and only one person liked it. So that's uh, on you, people the, of the world. The winner of those four was w- scrambled with 42%. I know. And then over easy was second place at 33. Uh, third place with 13% was sunny side up. And then last place, tell percent was poached. Okay, I just have to say this. Sunny side up, over easy, and poached are essentially the same goddamn thing. Well, because the point of them is to have the runny yolk, right? And I'm not, I'm not shitting on you for putting those as the three things, but what I'm saying is it is clear that the winner truly should be anything other than scrambled because more numbers came in for sunny side up over easy and poached and they're all the same thing because they all have the runny egg okay i don't yolk, think I mean. they're all the same thing because you would have to order them separately at the diner those are usually like well i don't feel like you normally can't get poached eggs like that that's only like the order of benedict exactly exactly but you could put an over easy egg on a benedict and nobody would know the difference is what i'm saying i would know well i found this interesting because I feel like I do like eggs, but sometimes I really don't. And it's scrambled eggs that's on thin ice with me because that could easily turn. Like, I could be eating scrambled eggs fine. The next second, it's my stomach's doing flips. There's just I, something yeah. about it. I feel the exact same way. Also, something about scrambled egg feels very juvenile to me. Nothing against children. But... Oh, over here, <laughs> Miss Sophistication. <laughs> no, but it's just like, to me, it's like a like a four-year-old or a five-year-old boy eating like scrambled eggs with ketchup which just freaks me okay no ketchup out is, if you put ketchup on your them. eggs i'm just gonna i mean I some people do that uh, yeah. tomato and eggs isn't that weird to me no but ketchup is not tomato it is in it's a way tomato and sugar and like all this anyway i would have picked over easy because the whole reason you eat an egg is to have like a really buttery piece of rye toast just scoop up warm egg yolk Okay, and then you eat the talking... exciting egg whites with salt and pepper after. That's like the best way to eat an egg. I do like that. But that's not the, you know, obviously scrambled is what people like. So, But I'm, okay, I'm just going to say. I respect the, it. I respect it 
respectfully without respect. <laughs> Isn't there that Michael Scott quote that's like, um, he's like, oh, God, it's a TikTok sound right now, and I can't remember what he says. Oh, I'm sorry. If I find what, it. The one that's like, we can't fire him without cause. Yes. I have yeah. cause. It's because I hate him. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, the cadence of that is how I feel about scrambled eggs. Not necessarily the context of the sentence, but the cadence of the way he speaks. Anyway. I just don't want to shame anyone for their egg choices. Sure. So. I do know what you mean, though, like about the sometimes I'm on with eggs, like I'm on. Mm-hmm. And then there's times I'm off with eggs. It's usually scrambled. But sometimes even over easy eggs, especially like <laughs> that like part that just doesn't get cooked enough in the middle. Oh, it's fr- no, no, no. What I just thought about it. <laughs> okay, what? at work, we <laughs> at work, they buy this bag of hard boiled eggs. <laughs> They're good. <laughs> but they leave it in the kitchen and anytime anyone opens it, <laughs> it just smells like farts. <laughs> It's it's like a Trader Joe's bag bag of eggs, peeled hard boiled eggs. But anytime someone opens it in the kitchen, I'm like, who farted? <laughs> That's exactly what it smells like. Bag of farts is what bag I bag of farts. It gets the job done. <laughs> anyway, we got to stop talking uh, about eggs. Yeah, I guess. we gotta. We're on eggs too much. Should we go into hits and shits? Let's do hits and shits. I gotta pull up my my information here. Uh, well. I have a hit that wasn't really in the crossword. It's in the cross world Ooh, that maybe okay. you saw on Twitter. But Brooke Husick was a constructor that we talk about her puzzles a lot. Mm-hmm. She has like a, a, what's it called? Like a fake name on Twitter, Alexandra Ladee. It's like mm-hmm. her alias for crossword stuff. But mm-hmm. she posted, after working on it for many months together, Enrique at Data Lexic and I are so excited to share our free data-driven word list with you. Go forth and write amazing crossword puzzles. <gasps> it's called spreadthewordlist.com. I will link Brooke slash Alexandra's Twitter in our um, details and also this website. But basically, constructors use word lists to help fill in their puzzles when they're constructing. They don't mm-hmm. like like think up every single word that goes in they have a word list and they get to choose like you know what fits and they write the clues for it and everything but word lists are expensive and it's a huge barrier of entry when you're starting um so this is awesome it's free and you know i saw comments of other constructors names that i recognize who said the list is really good and people should use this so that's great and i think yeah, word lists are really cool because you can think of a really cool word and add it to your word list. It's like something a gift that keeps on giving, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and I think a lot of times starter word lists, when you download like a program, can be kind of, you know, generic or basic, and you really have to work hard to build up your word list. To, so to have something like this as like a baseline is kind of cool. Not yep. that I'm going to go construct a crossword now, but if you're interested... There are resources out there for you. And if you're interested, if there's somebody out there that is interested in constructing but doesn't know where to start, write to us and we will send you some resources. And, and some we people can't that can help, help you at all. But No, we can't. We'll forward we'll, you to someone else. Yes. Yes, it's like a hotline. Okay. Mm-hmm. 24-7. <laughs> 24-7. We will get back to you on the next business day. Thank you. Speaking of Brooke Husick, I did one of her puzzles this week, Monday, August 30th, New York Times. Uh, I'm going to start off, I like the theme, but I'm going to start off with a clue that I liked and an answer, 35 down. 
one who might have a contract with a sandal manufacturer? And the answer was... I also liked this one. <laughs> the answer is foot model. You'd love to see it. You got to make the money. Got to use your feet. No free picks. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, the theme was good, though, too. It was essentially like every themed answer is a phrase that is either spelled... The beginning is either spelled with L blank C K or L blank X. So locks or lux, locks, locks, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then um, it's essentially a vowel shift. So each answer, the first vowel of the letter shifts uh, in descending order throughout the puzzle. And it's the all the vowels of the alphabet, <laughs> A-E-I-O-U. For example, the very first uh, clue was 18 across, doesn't have fortitude, and the answer was lax heart, so L-A-C-K. Uh, and the very last answer was 56 across tiny neighbor of France. And the answer was Luxembourg, U being the last vowel of the alphabet, if you will. It was just fun. It's a nice, it's a nice easy theme for a Monday. And I always love to see it. The one down of that also made me laugh. Develop a chrome dome. <laughs> go bald. It's true. You gotta love it. Um, oh, and then. Am I an idiot that 38 down opposite a freeway is a toll road? That's true. And I was like, oh, yeah, freeway, because you don't have to pay tolls on it, so it's free. <laughs> it's true. To be fair, I haven't I haven't driven regularly in my life, okay? Because I moved to the city when I We're was city 17. So 17 years ago when I moved to the city. Sounds like we could make a musical out of that. I feel like that probably exists. Um... Okay. Put a pin on that. All right. Pin in. What else? What do you got? Mm, let's see. Let's see. Oh, well, I wanted to give a shout out to the USA Today crossword. This is really a shout out to myself, but it's um, the one from September 1st by Zhaoxin Bernikel, edited by Amanda Rafkin. Mm -hmm. 56 across blank tingling, eerie. And the answer was spine tingling. And I just want everyone to know that our office used to have a true crime book club. And mm. I said it should be called Spine Tingling. And I thought that was pretty funny. So I want people to appreciate that. I think that's a really good name. Did they not go with it? They did. But the book club disbanded. Oh, oh true, true, true. I was in the book club for the first book. Um, and it was a, what was it? It was a Ted Bundy book or Ted something. Bundy. Yeah. And um, I couldn't even get through the prologue and I had to drop out of the book club. She's too scared. It was too, it was devastatingly horrifyingly scary. Yeah. Especially because it's real. That book is... The circumstances in which the author wrote that book, though, is, is wild. Look into it. It's what was the book called? The, the Stranger, Stranger Beside, Beside Me. Me. Yes. Ugh. Ugh. Um, um, go ahead. Okay. Did you do the Wednesday New York Times? Yes, it's so good. <laughs> it was so good. So this one made me laugh because the theme um, is... 19 down exclamation upon seeing this puzzle and the answer is that's a big if and if you look at the puzzle visually the black boxes spell out if which is um kind of a big deal because normally crosswords are perfectly symmetrical but in this case it isn't because i and f aren't perfectly symmetrical everything that's else true. is but the f is not symmetrical to the i only uh, by like three squares but, but um because it was had so little boxes in it there were so many all the way across answers mm. and some of them i really enjoyed like for a down nevertheless look at our current situation in quotes 
and it was and yet here we are yep um 11 down performer known as the king of latin pop enrique iglesias just want to say i spelled it correct the first time bravo to me wow thank you shout out to you especially because i've got very poor spelling abilities like that's just like Mm -hmm. a thing in my life um so not to like flex or anything but i did pretty well with that one so (laughs) um but yeah i enjoyed that puzzle some other uh long answers that were good uh, three down they can rate up to three thousand uh or three hundred fifty thousand sorry on the scoville scale and the answer was habanero peppers then we have six down grassroots group focused on addressing climate change and the answer was sunrise movement if you're not familiar with sunrise movement give them a google they're really into helping secure the green new deal um which is essentially getting america to you know say yes to 100 percent uh you know what clean and renewable energy in a very specified amount of time so look into it it's pretty cool it was founded in 2017 and then seven down difficult to understand is beyond one's grasp that was a good one and then probably my favorite clue and answer of the week goes to 21 down priceless keepsakes question mark the answer was gift receipts so good yeah, it's such a good really good for that. Uh, yes, and then I think the only, the only part that really tripped me and Matt up was seven across. Uh, bad break, and the answer was bum deal. We had mm-hmm. B blank blank deal in, and the crosses for the other the, the last two letters in that answer, we did not know the answers to. I think it's at bad all. deal. I kept thinking bad deal, bad deal, bad deal. Or yeah, mm-hmm. sorry, whatever it is, and I it was bum deal and it took me forever to get the answer um also just to say 24 across this almost exact clue and answer showed up in a different puzzle okay wait i saw that what other puzzle was it in all right hold on first of all in the wednesday new york times it was 24 across body feature for roughly 90 percent of people and the answer was any i don't know if we said the constructor's name this was sean yamada hunter by the way so that was in the wednesday puzzle and let me see oh and then from the New Yorker on Wednesday, September 1st, by Natan Last, 40 down, about 90% of people have one. And the answer was any. Oh, yeah, okay. it was the New Yorker. You guys, I know you guys collaborate. You guys share word lists. You guys are like, who's using any this week? Let's send secret subliminal messages. I know it. My heart it's of hearts. It's in the air. It is wild when that happens. So close. Is I that know. the same day? Was it another Wednesday? Yes. It was September mm. 1st, both of them conspiracy yep 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 uh also speaking of that natan last puzzle something i learned this is relevant to our interest grace Mm -hmm. uh natan last whenever you do any of his puzzles in new yorker so just be prepared to do have a lot of like literary references you just know you're gonna have them when you're doing natan's puzzles but anyway this was a literary reference six down symbols for charlotte and emily bronte I looked this one up. Yes. Uh, I believe, this took me ages to figure out because I didn't know it. Uh, The Mm -hmm. answer, I believe it's pronounced diaresis, diaresis. And the diaresis is that double dot that sits on top of the E in Bronte. So yes, it's a symbol for both of those sisters because it's in their last name. Is it above the E or is it above the O? I believe it's below the E, Bronte. Let's let's look it up. I'm looking it up it is. right now. Why would I doubt it is? 
it is and i doubted you sorry and i will pay greatly for that (laughs) it's okay to doubt me sometimes but i do copy the clues directly into my word document oh yeah duh obviously you're reading it from the (laughs) freaking thing and i didn't even think about that source uh yeah so i learned something new this week very nice thank you uh i have kind of a shit that we've had as a shit before okay you know a light one thursday september 2nd new york times by david w tufts six down parents and grandparents in slang with the oh yeah the olds the olds i've never heard that in my life the only place i've ever heard that is a crossword yeah unless it's really like old old slang but then i feel like you should specify that right yeah i feel like crosswords often use the word in slang Mm-hmm. quite literally yeah um because slang i think is contemporary and in current vernacular use like you know mm-hmm. if people aren't currently using it as slang then it's not slang it is slang of old or something official term thank Although you i did like from that uh, puzzle 50 down where lab coats get cleaned and the answer was pet spa mm-hmm mm-hmm very yeah. cute um i think that's all that i have this week that's all i have so Ooh, shall i just i do have one point? hit oh. one hit you said that that's so, all you had and you were lying i know i was lying i'm sorry this is like a hit not related to literal answers and mm-hmm. you know clues and answers i subscribe to the usa today crossword today you can subscribe. You it's six bucks a month, I believe, like five ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've been doing the puzzles and never signing in and never getting any of the like, you know, keeping track of my whatever, you know, stats and stuff like that. And then, of course, when you say like, okay, fine, I'll sign up, they're like, well, do you want to sign up and spend six bucks a month? And you get like all these extra features of things like ad free and maybe something else. I didn't actually look at it, and I was like, you know what? I hope that this helps Eric and Co and helps them do great things with this puzzle so i subscribed uh and you all should subscribe too but one of the cool things about the usa today puzzle is that it is there is a low barrier of entry for people who are interested in starting crosswords actually the person who did the Lollapazoola tournament with me downloaded the usa today crossword app and has been doing the free crosswords because she (gasps) wants to get better at crosswords so thanks to usa today we love you guys over there so doing good things and that's why Six bucks a month, I can, I can do it. I can do it for you. She's doing it, people. Well, that's very nice. I like the USA Today. You know, everyone knows that here. We talk about it all the time. I know. I know. Um, does that mean it's time for the coin flip? I think it is. We're going to get into the nitty gritty here. Let's I do know. it. Flip it. I'm going to flip the coin right now. Again with the tails, I swear to God. Me. My topic comes from the Sunday Washington Post, the August 29th uh, by Evan Bernholz, themeless number 17. The clue is 57 across, places where people pick up pumpkins. Yeah, pumpkin patch? Yes. So I'm talking about pumpkin patches and Halloween because it is September 2nd when we're recording. It's officially spooky season in my book. Okay, it started yesterday for me. Yes. The most important time of year. Mm-hmm. in my life mm-hmm. um so yeah 
I just thought might as well get into the Halloween spirit now, Let's get everyone. Into the, oh, I am so ready for fall to be a thing. I'm yes. so done with the crazy summer weather. I just want to wear my pants. Honestly, if you were to look into my closet, I own one pair of shorts, which I have worn on repeat all summer. You look into my, my closet, and I've got like 10 pair of pants just hanging, begging me to be worn. And I'm like, Soon. waiting soon too bad we're not gonna leave our houses this fall no it's true i probably just put my leggings on (laughs) for the rest of winter you can rock you can walk walk around the block in your cool pants thank you okay um so yeah we're going to talk about pumpkins pumpkin pumpkin carving and other halloween tradition origins this will be kind of similar we did a christmas tradition origin where it was like just talking about all the pagan winter solstice traditions and how the church stole them of course but what screams halloween more than pumpkins and going to the pumpkin patch let's talk about pumpkins pumpkins are giant orange fruits they're fruits more specifically they're a type of squash and yes squashes are considered fruit because they have seeds and they develop from the flowering part of a plant Pumpkins were first found in Central America. The Native Americans there carried pumpkins to other parts of North America. They would cut them into long strips and roast them over the fire, which sounds good. And they would also dry them out and weave them into mats. Pumpkin seeds were used for medicine. So Mm. pumpkins were widely used in North America. Christopher Columbus tried to take pumpkin seeds with him back to Europe, but they didn't grow there. Um, The name pumpkin comes from a French explorer called Jacques Cartier. He found pumpkins and what is now uh, Canada in 1584, and he called them pepons, which is a Greek word that means large melon, and pepons eventually turned into pumpkins. Okay. Uh, colonizers started eating pumpkins when they came to North America. However, it wasn't until the influx of Irish immigrants after the Great Potato Famine that pumpkin carving became a staple of Halloween tradition. Mm. So, yes, the jack-o'-lantern is Irish. <gasps> yes. Mm-hmm. But let's look back on how Halloween as a whole kind of started. So, it is believed that Halloween originated from the ancient Celtic pagan holiday, Samhain, it, but it's spelled S-A-M-H-I-N. So, I, I thought it was Samhain. Samhain. Isn't it? Or is it Sal? How do they pronounce it? Well, I looked it up online. It said Samhain. Because it's M-H, right? Yeah. Yes. It's amazing what the Irish language sounds like <laughs> in English. And I'm sure that's a horrible pronunciation, too, but I'm doing my best. Okay. So all of this information is from history.com. I just went through, like, a rabbit hole. They had clickable links, (laughs) and I put it all together. So All right. uh, Ancient ancient Celts marked Samhain as the most significant of the four quarterly fire festivals, just like I do. Uh, It took place between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. It was usually celebrated from October 31st to November 2nd to welcome in the harvest and the dark half of the year, which I love. Can like we begins, do that? You know, yeah, we can do that. Um, it was also believed that at this time, barriers between the physical world and the spiritual world would break down. Ooh. So Halloween colors, black and orange, black represents death and like the spiritual world. And then orange represents the like autumnal harvest season. Okay. In ancient times, the day would go kind of like this. So families would let their hearth hearth fires burn out in their homes while they finished gathering the harvest. And once all the harvest work was done, everyone would meet in town. Druid priests would light a community fire wheel that was supposed to represent the sun. Uh, Cattle were sacrificed and families would light their torches using the community fire and bring it back into their homes to relight the fires in there. Mm. 
But because the barrier to spiritual world was like breachable at this time, people would leave offerings outside of their village for fairies. And they may also have dressed up as animals and monsters so that fairies would not kidnap them. Ooh. There were a couple different monsters associated uh, with Salwin mythology, one of which is the Headless Horseman, which you talked about in episode 46. Another one is the Cat Sith, which we talked about in 59. And the Cat Sith was a black cat who would bless your house during Samhain Festival if you left out a saucer of milk. Um, But my favorite is probably Lady Gwyn. She was a headless woman dressed in white who chased night wanderers and was accompanied by a black pig. So Halloween duo costume idea just throwing that out there my god yes there there was also tradition called dumb supper in which dead ancestors were invited to join for dinner children would play games to entertain the dead while adults would update the dead on past new years that night doors and windows might be left open for the dead to come in and eat cakes that had been left for them and similar traditions to this exist in many cultures all around the world even still today i love that actually we should we should throw one of those parties that's basically what Day of the Dead is. Yes. But we, we won't do the Day of the Dead version. We'll do the Irish version. So to well, say. well, for me, I wouldn't feel like I'd be stealing something. Yes, yes. Well, one of my really good friends is Mexican, and her family does the, like, ofrenda and everything for Day of the Dead. And I got to go oh. see it and, like, oh, that's help amazing. set up. It was very cool. Um, okay, have a bit here. Okay. Do you hear that? I hear it. It's our friend, the Catholic Church. They heard that people are having fun. Uh, they're like uh, <laughs> oh you have a holiday on november 1st because we also have a holiday on november 1st actually and it's also about dead people so maybe you guys should just celebrate our holiday instead and we'll call it even or we'll call you a pagan and maybe kill you mm-hmm. um you pick and if, you're, <laughs> and if you're thinking like no it's just a coincidence that all saints day is on november 1st no okay um and 835, Pope Gregory III deemed November 1st All Saints Day. However, you should know that before this, All Saints Day was originally on May 13th. It was created by Pope Gregory I in 601. So yes, it was purposely changed to um, take, you know, focus away from the Samhain pagan festival. Uh And basically the Catholic Church has a bunch of saints and a lot of them have like their own special day, but All Saints Day is basically a day to celebrate all the saints that that don't have their own specific day. Kind of sounds boring. No offense. Yeah. So it became known as All Hallows Day because hollow is an old English word for holy people. Mm -hmm. And then it is also believed that the Christian practice of celebrating the evening before a holiday, like Christmas Eve, was stolen from Jewish traditions. So Jewish days and holidays have always begun the evening before because Judaism follows a lunar calendar and the new day begins at sunset. So interesting. Double whammy on the Catholic Church there. But this whole thing <laughs> kind of backfired a little bit because uh, there was All Hallows Day and then it became All Hallows Eve and that turned into Halloween. But the traditions, the like pagan spiritual traditions persevered and kind of, you know, it didn't fully turn into a Catholic holiday in most places. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. And eventually the Catholic Church didn't like this all of a sudden. So they start to label Halloween as being demonic and evil and by the devil and all this stuff. So that's where all the like devil evil imagery comes from with Halloween. Because Mm. yes, it was about dead people, but it was more about like ancestors and, you know, generally having like a better relationship with death, which (laughs) we don't now. Um, So yeah, so they basically 
turned on it and then made it evil and demonic and all that stuff. Well, because if you if if a populace doesn't have a good relationship with death, if they fear death, they will do anything to find a respite from the blackness of what death is, right? Like mm-hmm. find a religion to control their life, for instance, and give lots of money and tithe for that particular religion, perhaps. Yeah, and it worked. I'm a path of night thinking about death most of these days. But <laughs> anyways, fun fact, early Puritans didn't celebrate Halloween because they associated it with the Catholics and they thought it was like too mystical because they th- thought that the Catholics were like, you know, heretics and yeah, all that stuff. But there it anyways, is. Let's go back to some traditions, um, like ancient traditions and then some more modern ones. You can kind of see some of them have been meshed with like Christian themes, but we'll get into okay. that. So... Trick-or-treating is thought to be based on some ancient traditions from the nights leading up to Samhain. We already know that people wore costumes and left food out for the spirits. Um, In the Middle Ages in Ireland, mumming was the practice of putting on costumes, going door-to-door, and singing songs to the dead. Cakes were given as payment, and this is similar to another tradition around Saturnalia, which is probably where Christmas caroling comes from. Mm -hmm. People would, like, sing door-to-door to make sure, like, plants came in okay the harvest came in okay mumming also shows up in the topic that i did on egg rolling mm-hmm. because mumming is it's a tradition of yeah like just singing from door to door around festivals right mm-hmm. and so mumming part of the mumming tradition is where we get the egg rolling tradition as well there's also contemporary mumming that happens in the united states to this day mummer's day parade is a huge tradition in Philadelphia, which has a massive Irish Catholic population. So just, mm-hmm. so it's all coming together here. Even though it was originally a pagan thing. Yes. Um, but speaking of the church again, All Saints Day wasn't enough. In year 1000, November 2nd was designated All Souls Day. So that's a day to honor people who died who weren't saints. Mm. And on All Souls Day, people would visit the houses, like poor people would go to rich people's houses, um, and they would receive pastries called soul cakes in exchange for a promise to pray for the souls of the homeowner's dead relatives. So only if you're wealthy would people pray for your dead relatives. Uh, If you're not wealthy, then you just have to pray for other people's dead relatives and also get cakes out of it. Convenient. Yes, this was known as souling and was later taken up by children who would go from door to door asking for gifts such as food, money, and ale. Hmm. Halloween also had a lot of matchmaking traditions. I'm not even going to go through all of them, but one of them, um, Scottish women wrote men's names on hazelnuts and tossed them in the fire. If a hazelnut burned to ash instead of pop, he became the woman's husband. So yeah, people are very Actually? desperate to convince themselves that they should get married. That, that tradition is so cute, though. <laughs> is it? Uh, i think so i i think of it more as like they don't want to do this but they have to because the hazelnut burned true and they're like oh okay i guess i have to marry this person (laughs) then Uh, but that tradition didn't really stick but another one did so the roman fall festival feralia which is which honors pomona the goddess of agriculture and abundance meshed with Samhain when the romans invaded the celts in 43 year 43 and Pomona's symbol is an apple. So over time, the tradition of apple bobbing came about. Mm. The first successful apple bobber would supposedly be the next person in the room to get married. If you got the apple on the first try, you would find true love. However, if it took several tries, you would be fickle in love. And I just Ooh. have to say, bobbing for apples is difficult and it's also hard. gross in a group. Like, you're all sharing that. Especially this day and bucket. age. I need my own personal. Yeah, my own personal bucket. <laughs> 
and new apples too, fresh apples. Yes, 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 yes. Um, but of course, you have to talk about jack-o'-lanterns because yes. pumpkin patch, pumpkins, that's kind of the clue. <clears throat> All right. So pumpkins were like a North American thing. Remember, they didn't grow in Europe, mm-hmm. but it was brought over from the Irish. So how did that happen? Well, the Irish didn't carve pumpkins. They carved turnips instead. <gasps> and the practice is based on the legend of Stingy Jack. So in this Irish myth, a man named Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him. And true to his name, Stingy Jack didn't want to pay for his drink, so he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin that Jack could use to buy the drink. Mm. But once the devil became a coin, Jack decided to keep the money and put it into his pocket next to a silver cross, which prevented the devil from changing back to his original form. Okay. Jack eventually freed the devil under the condition that he would not bother Jack for one year and that should Jack die, he would not claim his soul. The devil came back after a year. Jack played another trick on him, etc. Finally, when Jack died, God wouldn't allow him into heaven because he was playing all these tricks and sent him to hell. Only the devil would not claim his soul in hell, so he sent Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack put the coal into a carved out turnip and has been roaming the earth with, with it ever since. The Irish called him Jack of the Lantern, or Jack-o'-lantern for short. And, get this, Sound of Music lovers, in some stories he's called Will of the Wisp. Will being an old word for torch and wisp being a bundle of sticks or kindling used to light a torch. That's also just a saying for someone who's like wandering and doesn't know where he's going. Like Maria von Trapp. Obviously. When Irish immigrants came to the U.S. in the 1840s after fleeing the Irish potato famine, they brought this tradition with them, only they realized that pumpkins were much easier to carve than turnips. Mm. They, along with the Scottish immigrants, also brought the traditions of souling, which is going door-to-door for treats, to the U.S. However, in good old-fashioned USA lifestyle, Halloween pranks, including vandalism and violence, became out of control, exacerbated by the Great Depression. One theory suggests that this excessive Pranks on Halloween led to the widespread adoption of an organized community-based trick-or-treating tradition in the 1930s. Interesting. This came to a stop in World War II when sugar was rationed and, you know, you didn't have treats to give out. But trick-or-treating had a boom again with the post-war baby boomers and it quickly became standard American tradition and also a way for candy companies to make money because that's what we care about. Yes. And they'll end with this. According to the National Retail Federation, Halloween is the second largest commercial holiday in the country. For good reason. I mean, you know, it, basically you're going to see, like, Target starts putting Halloween stuff out in, like, middle of July. You know what I'm saying? Like, they As know they what's going should. on. As they should. But, you know, we talk about how, you know, the candy companies got the United States government to change uh, daylight savings time by an hour so that they could make more money making selling candy so people would be out longer. That's mm-hmm. a fact. That is a fact. Um, Because... Halloween's important, and so is making money in America. You know how it is, folks. Oh, I can't wait for Halloween. I know. Grace and I spent last Halloween together. It was fun. We had like a little candy pulley shoot set up from my balcony. People would have to ring a bell to get candy. Do you remember that? Oh, yes, I do remember that. That was fun. Yeah. What We watched movies. Yeah, I love Halloween, obviously. I feel like Mm -hmm. I talk about it every episode. (laughs) (laughs) I think we ended up watching a lot of the screams. Yes, and a new one's coming out, but not until next year. So Yes, which makes no it's sense. It's coming out in January. Uh, missed like, opportunity. Just wait then and release it in October of next year. I'd rather that. <sighs> we all will. I mean, I'll watch it in January, but I'll be happy about it. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Oh, my God. It just put me in a mood. I want to, like, I want to pick out a Halloween costume, and I want to, like, have Halloween decorations up. And Should we be Lady Gwyn and the pig? 
Yes. I'll be the pig. You can be Lady Gwen. Does it work for you? <laughs> yeah, that works. Cool. All right. Stay tuned for pictures, folks. That leads us to my topic, which is kind of holiday themed as well. Um, I was thinking that Grace might have done this topic when she said she was doing a puzzle from a Sunday puzzle. I was like, oh, my God. Mine is also from a Sunday puzzle, but it is from the New York Times. I believe it's August 28th by Dory Mintz, 73 across Santa tracking organization. The answer is no red or NORAD. I'm just going to call them NORAD. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you know what NORAD is? I do not. Okay. I'll be talking about NORAD today. Um, I feel like you do know what NORAD is. You probably just don't know that this is the name of the organization. You know the Santa tracking website that comes up every Christmas? Yes. Run by NORAD. It's run by NORAD. Okay. Uh, Okay. But before we talk about Santa and the Santa tracker, we're going to talk about NORAD as an organization. Uh, For those of you out there who do not know what it is, you're about to find out. First of all, I got a lot of my information from the NORAD military website, because yes, it is a military organization. Um, scary. The Canadian Encyclopedia, and then an awesome article on Air and Space Magazine by Michael Bahar called The Secret World of NORAD. Um, let's get into it. Let's do it. So NORAD stands for North American Aerospace Defense Command. They were originally called North American Air Defense Command. They eventually changed their name. Uh, and they were founded in 1957 at the height of the Cold War. Uh, as most of you probably know, the Cold War is a period of geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. Okay. And both Canada and the U.S. were like, holy shit, like we're afraid. Uh, they were afraid of like long range missile Soviet attack. And so mm-hmm. they founded NORAD. NORAD is a binational organization between the U.S. and Canada, and they're charged with missions of aerospace warning and aerospace control for all of North America. Uh, Aerospace warnings that NORAD is responsible for include detection, validation, and warning of attack against North America, whether by aircraft, missiles, or space vehicles. Okay. And then aerospace control includes ensuring air sovereignty and air defense in the airspace of both Canada and the United States. That's what they do. So essentially, NORAD, with the help of homeland security of both nations and law enforcement of both nations, prevents air attack against North America. They safeguard the sovereign airspaces of the U.S. and Canada by responding to unknown, unwanted, and unauthorized air activity approaching. And they provide airspace and maritime as of 2016, warning for all of North America. So UFOs. UFOs, baby. Well, nowhere in my research were UFOs mentioned, but... You're not looking in the right places then. The reason why they changed their name from North American Air Defense Command to Aerospace Command is because Air Command was just when missiles were, like, shot through, like, the atmosphere, like, that we currently live in. Mm-hmm. Now, with, like as missiles and technology are constantly evolving, they're all done through satellite now. And so all that stuff is in space. Terrifying. So technically, I mean, they're, they're FOs, flying objects, I mm-hmm. guess. IFOs, identified, <laughs> identified flying objects. Anyway, but I guess that could encompass unidentified flying objects. Anyway, so that's what they do. So where is NORAD located? Who commands them? How does it all work? There are two main command centers for NORAD, but NORAD also has bases scattered across the U.S. and Canada. 
The main headquarters are located at Peterson Space Force Base near Colorado Springs in Colorado. Uh, and nearby is the Cheyenne Mountain Complex, and this is used as the alternate command center. Both of these bases serve as a collection facility for, for a system of sensors designed to provide the commander and leadership of NORAD with accurate, uh, like, an accurate picture of any aerospace or maritime threat. Okay, so all this is going on in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Uh, yes. Uh, and since 2006, NORAD's primary operations operate at Peterson Air Force Base, but in the event of imminent nuclear attack, NORAD uh, will then evacuate to the command facility inside the mountain. So when I say Ooh. Cheyenne Mountain Complex, I mean in the inside mountain. the mountain. I'm going to talk about it right now. So Cheyenne Mountain Complex is effectively a bunker. The bunker is 2,000 feet under the Cheyenne Mountain and spans five acres of land and can be sealed off by two sets of massive blast doors made out of concrete, steel, uh, and each of them are three and a half feet thick and they weigh 23 U.S. tons each. Bunkers. And so Dang. I was reading an article about this on the Air and Space Mag and they always have the doors facing, like if they're open, which they mm -hmm. do have them open, they face outward because if there's a huge nuclear blast, the blast will hit the doors and close them and seal everybody inside so that the people inside will survive. Hmm. Maybe I should change my door so that it opens outside. Most doors yes. open in. It's true. Yeah. And you need to make sure you get the ones that are 23 US tons and three and a half feet thick. Mm. Okay. 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 You might have to put an order in. There might be like a delay with shipment for those. I'll write it out of my rent check. Good idea. Good idea. Better start now. Installment mm -hmm. payments, of course. Anyway. Okay. So inside the mountain bunker, there are 13 three story buildings and two two story buildings. Uh, and NORAD shares the mountain with the U.S. Northern Command, which is known as NORTHCOM. We'll talk a little bit about them in a bit. And 10 other tenants whose designation and purpose are classified. Ooh. Who else is inside that mountain? UFOs. UFOs. That's the alien. That's why it didn't come up in your research. It's true. It's classified. Classified. They okay. want us to know. And above ground... Uh, the mountain has dense woodlands, and it is filled with black bears, wild turkeys, mountain lions, and foxes. It's Colorado, and if they get baby. hit with a nuclear blast, too bad. <laughs> They're gone. They're not coming inside the mountain. They're staying outside the mountain. Uh, and so outside of these main bases, these two main bases in Colorado, NORAD has divided the North American landmass into three administrative regions, each with their own areas of responsibility. The first is ANR, which is the Alaska NORAD region, headquartered at Joint Base Elmdorf-Richardson in Alaska. The 11th Air, uh, Air Force Division is what controls that. Uh, and then we have CAND, the Canadian NORAD region, which is headquartered at Canadian Forces Base Winnipeg in Manitoba. And the 1st Canadian Air Division mans that. And then we have C-O-R-N, also known as CORN, uh, also known as Continental U.S. Region, which is headquartered at Tyndale Air Force Base in Florida, and the 1st Air Force Division mans that base. Uh, all of NORAD is commanded by a commander and a deputy commander, who are a U.S. four-star general and a Canadian three-star general, respectively. The current commanders are General Glenn D. Van Herc of the United States Air Force. And then Lieutenant General Alain Pelletier of the Royal Canadian Air Force. 
So if you've got problems or questions about aliens, just what if this is like a sitcom, call. an American lieutenant and a Canadian <laughs> lieutenant, except they're probably killing people. Right, 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 right. Uh, something I found interesting is in 1958, when they were forming NORAD, Canada and the United States agreed that the NORAD commander would always be a United States officer and it will always have a Canadian vice commander. So the U.S. always comes out on top, of mm, course. Classic. And these commanders are responsible to both uh, the U.S. president and the Canadian prime minister, um, which is interesting because... Like I said, this is a binational organization, but this isn't something like, it's not like they, something like they meet every once in a while to like talk and catch up. These are active every single day, every single minute of the year. So if something happens, it has to be approved by both the president and the Canadian prime minister. So you can imagine that there can be some tensions there. Um, it's the perfect setting for a sitcom. And you know, like the press, the you the american president would be like you know horrible and then the canadian vice president would have to make all the like real decisions <laughs> right the the u.s general and the u.s president would be very trigger happy and yeah. the canadian side is like let's just think about this for a minute and stuff like that has happened in history w w through no norad like the u.s is like we're doing this right now like it happened with the cuban missile crisis and it took canada like three days to decide what they were going to do and it was like it complicates things and it can be can be difficult especially if like real lives are on the line you know mm -hmm. because the policies of both countries especially like defense policies are different um and are kind of diverging even now there's a yeah. lot of academic literature on this particular subject of like national defense or in like between both countries and like this pact uh, mm -hmm. this no red pack i don't have an academic like i don't have a jstor login anymore i can't get into the cambridge website i could not read any of these articles i am generally interested in them though so if you know anything about it or have resources for me send them my way and i'll read them she and i mean will. that to my listeners i literally will read them but until then let's move on okay let's uh all together norad uses a network of satellites ground-based radar airborne radar and fighters to detect intercept and if necessary engage any air breathing threat to canada and the united states they will engage if they think there's a threat uh, they also assist in the detection and monitoring of aircraft suspected of illegal drug trafficking they will then take that information and give it to local law enforcement officers narcs yeah uh they basically want to stop illegal drug tr flowing into the united states which is funny it's just funny because you have like the whole iran contra conflict thing where you know the cia was like let's get the drugs in the united states and cause all sorts of problems and fund the fascists in the in south america mm -hmm. read about it okay this is one of those topics where i couldn't like i'm like i could get deep here but let's let's stay on topic here let's move into my interesting facts segment portion which all right Okay. Um, Canadian military personnel con constitutes at least a third of NORAD staff. So just remember that, folks. Okay. You got Canadians every day fighting for their lives, fighting for the U United States' lives. Seriously. 
They're working for your defense, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, NORAD and NORTHCOM, which is NORTHCOM shares the mountain base with mm-hmm. them. Um, NORTHCOM was established in 2002 in response to 9-11. Um, we'll talk a little bit about them in a little bit. Um, but oh, NORAD. God. We're covering 9-11 in this episode, too? <laughs> not, not really, but sort of. Okay. okay, so NORAD and NORTHCOM bring together 1,700 people from both military and civilian entities. They include people from the Navy, Army, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, and Federal Aviation Administration. It's kind of interesting. Um, which brings me to what the heck is the difference between NORAD and NORTHCOM, and do they work together? They do work together. Um they work hand in hand. So the easiest way to describe it is NORAD assesses and NORTHCOM uh, defends. So NORAD is the people like at the computers. They're like, okay, there's a missile. Let's watch it and see. And then we're like, oh, crap, that's going to hit Seattle. Then they're like, hey, NORTHCOM. And NORTHCOM's like, get the planes ready. And NORTHCOM like hops in their planes. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That totally. is like a massive oversimplification. But that's generally what's going I on in the mountains. like I understand the military now (laughs) okay so in the article the secret world of norad by michael bahar bahar actually got to go inside the mountain and was shown a simulation to explain the difference between norad and northcom by the then canadian air force colonel uh who is the norad northcom command center's deputy chief and this guy's name is travis morhan okay and this is a quote from the article quote he Travis Morhan shows me a computer simulation that tracks a North Korean missile from launch to impact, which is horrifying. When the missile ignites it, its rocket engine, a so-called overhead persistent infrared sensor picks up its heat signature or bloom. I inquire whether these sensors are affixed to satellites. Quote, you said it, not me, Morhan quips. As the simulation continues, the system tries to predict where the missile might be headed using a guide called an infrared threat fan, which is shaped like a tuning fork. Uh, The prongs bracket the most plausible targets based on what military intelligence tells NORAD about the current capabilities of North Korean missiles. As the simulation plays out, the program homes in on the most vulnerable impact locations. Let's just say, I wouldn't want to live in either Seattle or Hawaii. Once NORAD has confirmed... Yes. Once NORAD has confirmed an airborne or spaceborne missile, NORTHCOM steps in, alerting military commanders and the president, whose whereabouts are tracked 24-7, and who would presumably give the order to take action. How long does this entire process take, from detecting a bloom to informing leaders? The exact duration is yet another closely held secret. Quote, minutes or seconds is all Morhen will confirm. Hmm. Okay. That's a little example to show you. So NORAD is the one tracking the missile. And then when they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, shit, it's going to make impact, then they're like, hey, NORTHCOM. And the NORTHCOM's like, Mr. President, Mr. General. Who sent that uh, message to all the people in Hawaii by accident? (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get, we're almost there. We're we're almost to Hawaii. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Let's see. They also do a lot of training and drills at NORAD headquarters, as you can imagine. Here's some more quotes from that article. We do live fly training, explores more, explains Morhan. This involves a small aircraft entering a region, Alaska, the continental United States, or Canada, that NORAD is responsible for monitoring. The pilot will deactivate the airplane's identifying transponder, 
and ignore radio communications while attempting to penetrate restricted airspace. Not everyone inside the command center realizes it's a drill, and the ruse is what makes the training effective. Quote, when some people go to work that day, they don't know we're going to be flying someone against them, says Morhen. We will even do a real-world scramble to get fighters to intercept the plane. If the mock intruder entered U.S. airspace, Air Force fighter jets would respond. Canadian jets are on alert for an incursion into Canada's airspace. So that's what like a real training exercise looks like. Mm-hmm. And they're like, that happens like once a week at least. That's too stressful to work there. I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I just I just work at the subway inside the mountain, which there is a subway inside the mountain. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that's the most stressful subway job ever. But what's kind of cool is that, and this is not kind of cool, but if there was some sort of, you know, Armageddon, and you're just like f- making sandwiches at the start, the the subway inside the mountain, like you're in the best place possible because once that bunker closes, like you're safe. They have enough supplies in there to last more than a year with like 300 plus people. Yeah, but you know people are going to be wanting those meatball subs. I know, and they're they got you sli- food. <laughs> they got you slinging meatball subs even during the Armageddon. <laughs> Only for a little bit. You need to ration those. And you're things. like, I definitely don't make enough money for this ship. <laughs> Uh, okay, here's here's a question. Why are the No Red headquarters uh, placed in Colorado? Are you wondering this? Yeah. I was wondering this. Okay, and apparently other people wonder this too. Uh, the military put No Red in Colorado because it, it is near the center of the continent, okay? Like directly in the center. It's far from Soviet bomber bases and missile launchers. Um, but I just want to say... In general, I'm not trying to stir the pot here. I'm not mm. trying to say that I'm a conspiracy theorist, mm. but I will say there's a lot of weird rumors about Colorado. A lot of weird rumors about Colorado. The Denver airport? The Denver International Airport in particular. I'm not going into it, but you need to Google it because there's supposedly a bunker underneath the Denver International Airport too, folks. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's going on in Colorado? I don't know, but I do know that there are 10 unidentified organizations currently existing inside Cheyenne Mountain Complex. That's Is it, it the Illuminati? Mm, I don't know. Definitely NORAD. Definitely NORTHCOM. Maybe some UFOs. Just keep curious. Keep asking questions. Always. We will one day find out. <laughs> Maybe apply to get the job at the subway. Oh my god. <gasps> Grace! That's the perfect job we for us. We should get that job. <laughs> Imagine. As they're going through the vetting process to see if we can get the job, they find this exact episode of the podcast. And they're like, sorry, you talked about the conspiracy theory with the whole international airport thing, so we can't hire you. You really think they pay like a higher hourly wage, though, than other subways elsewhere? They better. For the for the amount you got to go through to get inside, they yeah. better. Anyway, let's get to the controversies of NORAD. There actually, surprisingly, not surprisingly, it was nothing really that I could find online about NORAD quote-unquote controversies or the real history or the truth behind NORAD. Mm-hmm. It's because it's a military organization. Not a lot of people are writing about it. And the stuff that people were writing that was um, critical of NORAD and like this alliance between, you know, United States and Canada, like I said, was locked behind a paywall on like JSTOR. They so, don't want you to know. They don't want you to know. But I did find some interesting stuff. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, the no red systems had failed at least three times. 
So we got November 9th, 17, oh, sorry, not 17, 1979. Uh, a technician in NORAD uh, loaded a test tape, but failed to switch the system status to test, causing a stream of constant false warnings to spread a two, uh, to spread to two uh, continuity of government bunkers, as well as uh, command posts worldwide. So basically sent like false alarms. Bad day um, work. Very bad day. And then in June 3rd and June 6th, 1980, a computer, a computer communication device failure caused warning messages to sporadically flash in the U.S. Air Force command post around the world that a nuclear attack was taking place. Um, and then the Pacific Air Force properly had their planes loaded with nuclear bombs in the air in response. Uh, the Strategic Air Command, however, did not do this because they, they kind of were like, this is a test. I think something's going wrong. And the Pacific Air Force was like, we thought it was a test too, but at least we were ready. The SAC was not ready. Interesting. Uh, and then in January of 2018, a worker miscommunication caused the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency to accidentally send a false alarm over Hawaii's emergency uh, alert system. Uh, the false alarm was corrected 38 minutes later. We all remember when this happened. Yeah. 38 that, minutes is very long. 38 minutes to think you're about to die. Some of the stories that came out of that are priceless in like a lot in devastating ways, in hilarious ways. There's one guy climbed into a refrigerator with a ton of loaves of bread and just was eating a ton of loaves of bread. Like that's a good way to go. Other well, people com like committed adultery or just did crazy things so that they were about to die. I feel like if that happened again, people would be like, is this a mistake? Like, you know. No. It was so publicized, yeah. Yeah. You've ruined it for yourselves. They really did. They really did. Um, but interestingly, Hawaii is the only state in the United States with a pre-programmed wireless emergency alert uh, that can be sent quickly to devices if a ballistic missile is heading towards them. Specifically because North Korea is very close to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. um, it would take a missile approximately 20 minutes from North Korea to reach hawaii damn okay um and then the what's it called here the emergency system uh would take less than oh so it would take less than five minutes to make a determination that the missile could strike hawaii and then you would have to notify the hawaii emergency management agency and then they would issue the civil defense warning um that an inbound missile was going to strike and people should shelter in place. Uh, and people would have approximately 12 to 15 minutes from receiving the notification to impact. So that's interesting to me. Like, that's how quick it would be. Yeah. And to think, Hawaii doesn't even want to be part of the United States, and yet we forced them to, and now they're a target Yep, for the United States enemies. Thanks, colonizers. You guys rock. Ha -ha. Well, technically, we are colonizers. I, I mean, I know. We got to own it. But I'm just saying, thanks. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I don't even want to be here. Take me back to Europe. That'd be kind of cool. I'd rather go live there right now. Europe has its own problems. I know. I know. But they, I know. Nowhere is fun. Nowhere is fun. Let's find Atlantis. That sounds fun. Yeah. Anyway. Xanadu. Xanadu. <laughs> exactly. Um, so... With all that said, I need to end where this all started. Mm -hmm. uh, NORAD's most special mission, which is, in fact, the Santa Tracker. 
Um, as we know, NORAD tracks the things in our skies and has been doing so for a very long time. Uh, they even began tracking Santa in 1955. So this, they actually started tracking Santa before they were called NORAD. In the same place where the NORAD base is now was a different aerospace command center that mm-hmm. kind of got absolved into NORAD. Anyway, the story goes, in 1955, a young child accidentally dialed the unlisted phone number of the Continental Air Defense Command, CONAD, um, the operation center in Colorado Springs, believing she was calling Santa Claus after seeing a promotion in a local newspaper. Sears actually ran a local advertisement and had a phone number on the advertisement, but it was misprinted. And one of the numbers were mis- was misprinted, and it was the unlisted phone number of this military base. Okay. Whoopsie-doozy. Whoopsies. So she calls the military base, and this guy named uh, Harry Shoup, who was an Air Force colonel, uh, he was the commander on duty that night, uh, picks up the phone, and he's like, what the f- F is going on, but he was quick to realize uh, a mistake had been made and assured the youngster that Conad would guarantee Santa a safe journey from the North Pole. And a tradition was born and passed on to NORAD after its formation. And each year since, NORAD dutifully reports on Santa's location on December 24th to millions around the world. It is recognized, uh, the Santa Tracker is recognized as one of the Department of Defense's largest community outreach programs. I feel like they should be doing more. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and each year, the Santa Tracker website receives 15 million unique visitors from more than 200 countries. And volunteers receive more than 130,000 calls to the NORAD uh, Track Santa hotline from children around the globe. Maybe and I'll force too, my niece to call it this year. You should. Okay, so it's interesting because, like, a lot of celebrities will, you know, pick up the hotline. Michelle Obama did it one year. Like, it's like a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you Lily can... doesn't care who Michelle Obama is. <laughs> it's more for mommy and daddy. Yeah, she'd want, like, Elmo to pick up. Exactly. Get Elmo on the line. Um, if you're interested in following No Rad Santa Tracker, you can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Facebook and Instagram are No Rad Santa. Uh, sorry, Facebook and Twitter are No Rad Santa. And then Instagram is No Rad Tracks Santa underscore official. Someone must have had the other name taken already. Oops. <laughs> um, and that's it. And that's all for No Rad and Santa Tracker. So What a journey. It's lots going on there. More questions unanswered than answered, potentially. Maybe. I mean, that's a good topic. So, yeah. Two holidays, one stone. Or two holidays, one podcast. How about that? That's our new podcast. <laughs> we should only talk about holidays. I feel like every uh, episode we come up with a new podcast. Well, it's true. that's just us. I'm not going to say, I'm going to wait and say our tagline at the end. Very, I very good. now, though. But That's okay. <clears throat> we're, we're still, you know, as we F up the opening, we have to F up the closer. Yes. Um, which brings me to the closer. Uh you were listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. Um, it's been a blast. We did some fun things this week, like we always do every week. Uh, if you have questions or if you have academic resources that you want to pass along to me, you can find us on social media. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at The Good Evening Girls. On Twitter at The Good Eve Girls. Or TikTok, The Good Eve Girls. We're lots of fun over there. I will accept academic resource links in the TikTok DMs. Just hit me up. Yes. Send us memes. Yeah. maybe don't go yes. crazy though we already sent too many tiktoks to each other it takes a lot of our time i it put really... a little bit on my tiktok app <laughs> um and so i think that's it i think that's all and i think we're ready to get into the last quarter of the year 
if you can tell by the topics this week. Woohoo! Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, keep curious. Keep curious! (laughs) (laughs) Bye! Bye!